0: This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club. The Charcoal Book Club is a monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. Join the club by visiting charcoalbookclub.com and use the promo code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. We also have the support of LensRentals.com, the largest online camera rental house in the U.S. They carry the most popular brands and models of cameras and lenses, but also anything you need for video, lighting, post-processing accessories, and more. Whether you need something for a one-time assignment or want to test it out before you buy, LensRentals.com is there to help. Explore their extensive inventory and save 10% on your first order when you sign up for their newsletter at LensRentals.com slash newsletter. The photographic community consists of more than just photographers and people who sell equipment. There are designers, editors, curators, educators, printers, retouchers, gallery owners, and more. They are people whose lives revolve around the image. Now, it's easy to forget that when you're focused on just creating photographs, but those people are as essential as everyone else. Jay Sibylla Smith wears many hats in the photographic community. She's an independent curator, a writer, an educator, and an advisor. Her work has created opportunities for photographers of all genres and backgrounds. Whether she's curating an exhibit or helping a photographer design their next publication, she brings insight, thoughtfulness, and generosity to all that she does. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Thank you, and uh, welcome.
1: Thank you. Well, I want to get to know you as much as, as you can ask me, but I don't know if that's the point of this, but. Well,
0: no, no, we can have a, no, we can have a conversation. That's good. So yeah. if you have any questions for me, I'll be glad to, to feel them because I, I, I like it when it turns into a conversation.
1: Yes. I mean, that's what I anticipated having, but as I got to, I mean, I've been listening to you, but when I looked historically at how long you've been interviewing people, what a library. So rich.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I oftentimes don't really think about it. I know that there's a number attached to it, you know, 556 or whatever it yes. is at, at this point. And the only time it strikes me is when people tell me, oh, I'm going back all the way to episode one and trying to catch up. And I'm going, that's a lot of hours.
1: Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, wow. but thankfully, you know, people are usually doing other things while they're listening. So it's Mm -hmm. not like they have to be tethered to a computer. They could be cooking. They could be taking the dog for a walk, maybe doing some stuff at work. A lot of people listen to it while they're commuting or when, when they were commuting.
1: Yeah, for me, actually, I got really caught up over the pandemic because one of the things that just happened is, even in lockdown, thank goodness, I wasn't in a place where they gave you a geographic limit, because mm-hmm. I know countries where you couldn't go past a kilometer, I would walk. And I, I really got into listening as well as walking. It was it, I thought of two things metaphorically. It was putting one foot in front of the other, and it was also allowing me to kind of metabolize. And of course, last year gave us so much to integrate that that's what I did. And, and it's become such a habit that I've fitted in you know, walk around plugged in. I like tonight I went to get takeout because I was staying in the studio and I was listening. Sarah Meitzner was leaving MoMA and had a time. So I just bumped it over to my phone, took it with me to the restaurant to pick up my takeout and stay. Oh,
0: I missed that. Yeah. On the
1: conversation. It's hard to know. There's so much being offered Simultaneously, really.
0: If I don't put it immediately in my calendar, <laughs> it just it just passes me up. And yeah, then that's one of the things about you I was wondering about. It's like, I think I'm busy, but I see all the stuff that you're doing. And I'm like going, whatever this woman's eating, I got to find out what
2: it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you, yeah, I know. It doesn't come from that. It comes from... Um, energy and a passion i just recently i'd say in this year stopped burning the candle at both ends but it's been fun
0: and how did you manage to do that
1: by hook or by crook You know, it's interesting. You you know my husband, and I don't know that you know that we're married. Uh, Most people don't, and it's really funny. Someone will go like, "Hey, you should know this person," and it's like, "Mm, "Yeah, I do." Um, (laughs) It's Eric. (laughs) That's happened so often. Um, It's Eric Luden of Digital Silver Imaging. Oh. Oh yeah. The two of us. You know, normally people marry something to balance them out. And unfortunately for our children, we didn't do that. (laughs) Um, Our our children will never be entrepreneurs ever. And both Eric and I, without planning to do this, um, we work in different arenas within the same field. Um, However, we both basically created something that didn't exist. You know, when digital silver imaging happened, Eric was translating something where it wasn't only he was offering the service, people didn't know it was possible. So, there was a whole education piece in addition to the workforce piece. And that's actually what happened for me, too. I mean, it wasn't thought out for sure, but it's really been fun. It's been a privilege, it's been a big uphill uh, in terms of keeping all of it moving and just being a part of a dynamic conversation. And Eric and I have a lot of similarities. Like We both really get enthusiastic about ideas. Um, We have too many for the time allotted to us. Mm -hmm. And then also, we're really big on connecting in terms of when we see something or hear something that that's that's just who we are you know in terms of wanting to definitely come from like more is more and there's enough to go around you Th- that's know?
0: something that I really have appreciated learning about you mm-hmm. not only how you help photographers in terms of them getting and understanding what their voice and their vision is whether it's in a book or a portfolio or a website but it's that you see, there are people who are connectors you know that people that are able to connect this person to that person, and that seems to me that the, that that is where some of your joy comes from, because mm-hmm. I hear it in your voice when you're when you when you've spoken before. It's like this isn't a woman who's burned out on what she's doing. It seems like when I hear you, you're as enthusiastic and as passionate as when you started.
1: Yeah. No. Really. I I feel fortunate that my career is such that there has been a synergistic blend and in this last iteration it was an integration it let me have my academic analytical piece and then my aesthetic kind of discerning eye piece come together so it's it's really exciting and the intersection of i'm excited about Photography is a medium, and yet I'm excited about the layers of what can be done with photography or what photography does do, the visual culture conversation, and that has been so dynamic over the last several years. It's so much to integrate and so much to evolve and move with. I was always aware of the power of photography, but we grew into this visual literacy in the last 20 years. It's like all these pieces came together. Uh, I mean, I was trained as an activist and I see myself and call myself a visual activist because I see the empowerment that's possible from an individual standpoint, really someone finding their visual voice, and it doesn't have to necessarily be tied to a social justice issue. However, that undercurrent is always being addressed by it. And I find that the it's like a playground that photography offers me to work in the things that I am truly, truly passionate about and that I can see the impact You know, when I'm working with someone around the concept-aware curriculum that I developed, all I'm really on is a collaborative journey to be with someone when they step into their voice and it shows up in the work, you know, and I'm there to say, Let's figure out what comes naturally, like what's the propensity you lean towards without really thinking about it. And what I'm asking people to do is stop and kind of analyze the process to bring awareness, to be able to, to name, this is how I see. And when you name it, you own it and you step into it differently. And it immediately shows and my other part when I'm teaching is to ask you to get out of your comfort zone and really play in other areas, be a beginner, be challenged. And, and that kind of playfulness and curiosity will refresh the very things that you come by naturally. Like, I think that we tend to minimize what we do well and frankly, what we see. And then we're like, you know... Doesn't everybody see that? And it's like, uh, no, they don't. So it's really fun when people get it. I have one example, which was really funny because this person came around to tell me he was a business person who found photography later in life. And he said, you have a marketing problem because I'm not a soundbite. I'm not a one thing. And he came to a Concept Aware weekend workshop and he literally didn't have a thing with him. A computer, a piece of paper, nothing. And I literally, I like to don't leave home. I'm always with an implement. It's how I think. So he sat through a weekend very engaged, but not having any of that kind of like capturing. And for two years, whenever I ran into him, he would say, like, I'm still thinking, you know, I'm still mulling. And truly that's what I tell people. I hope I leave you with more questions than answers and this stuff takes a while to unpack. And 2 years later he was working um gun violence was very very important to him and he was at a rally and we have I put together people in a Facebook group and he posted work and said that he had gone to the rally and for over an hour was frustrated, couldn't figure out what like what was going on and that he kept thinking concept aware, concept aware. And he said, and I, uh, I got clear and here's my portraits. And there must've been eight black and white portraits. And I literally, a, I cried. Then I called Mm. him and I just said, okay, you've got to tell me what, what is it? What happened? He said that in, in that conversation, he said that, um, I gave him the confidence to like what he likes, mm. and to be clear. And what he had done in that particular protest was he found the young people that had signage that basically alluded to "mi next," and he took black and white portraits of these young people. So he really drilled in, said what he needed to say.
0: Wow, uh-huh. I've been, I've been having several conversations over the last couple of weeks about the idea of transitioning from being focused on the individual photograph and thinking about creating an essay or a body of work and, and, and and thinking about, okay, now that I have all these skills and I have this experience, now what do I want to say?
2: Mm -hmm. And I think
0: that that, and I was saying that that's sort of a, a demarcation line. Some people are not able to cross that. And so they just, you know, just remain on that space where they're strictly focused on making the, the individual photograph. And to my thinking, experience a lot of frustration mm-hmm. because they feel like, well, I don't know if I'm getting any better. You know, am I any good? And it's like, well, at some point you have to start thinking about what do you want to say now with this? Mm-hmm. Because that's really where you're going to develop a voice, a style, whatever people want to want to call it. In your experience, what do you think is the struggle for for some to be able to make that that transition, and what what in, what in your experience has helped people to do that?
1: Really interesting because I see it all the time. I basically want to tell people the product will take care of itself if you focus on the process. So people get in their own way because they want. The end product, and that's where they put their focus and then try to wrestle stuff in there when it's actually the opposite. Um, I often use the analogy of Hansel and Gretel and say, pick up the breadcrumbs, and the breadcrumbs are your curiosity. What lights you up? That is what you need to follow. And if you pay attention to that, if there's observation and time and thought and, frankly, courage to let that lead you, you will define your voice. I I talk often about being in conversation with your work. It was interesting when I was in clothing design, we would often say, like, what? what does this fabric want to do if you were working with it in draping or whatever? Um, When I was on set, sometimes a photographer would be like, "Mm," like, what is this? What does this want to do? Like what, like be in conversation with what your medium is and what you're working with. For instance, I love this one image from a photographer who really got it, who photographed this dress just for the lines in the back and just brought it in and was sculptural and it's like no not every fashion item needs to be seen from the front. Mm. There was one man in my workshop one time and I use him as an example because he had a 20 year commercial business in photography and I watched the light bulb go off in his head. It was incredible because he basically went I don't need to have eye contact for a portrait oh my gosh, mm-hmm. like, nope. <laughs> yeah. But you, we walk around with some of these like parameters in our own head. And I love to do this thing when I'm working with people in a workshop situation is um, I do an exercise and it really brings out your propensities. And then I like to say like, let's take them away. Like, let's say someone's really comfortable in color then I want to see them work in black and white. Or if someone who's super graphic, I want to say, I just need you to do some lifestyle and, and get outside what you're normally doing. Um, one of the ways I look at concept aware to try to frame it, as I say, it is how you see and why it matters. That's what I'm trying to take apart.
0: So let's break down, you know, this term concept aware. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you mentioned that 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 first photographer who was uh, at the demonstration mm-hmm. and that he had uh, a sort of clarity of vision of what he was going for as he was photographing, but it seems to be more than sort of awareness when you're shooting. So could could you expand on that? And
1: sure. One of the things that I do in concept aware is I obviously want people to think outside the box, but one of the ways I term it is if we want to think outside the box, the first thing we have to do is define the box. And we're all walking around with a box. And the box I'm asking you to originally start from is things you wouldn't necessarily Think are in your photographic toolkit, but they are um, things like preconceptions, uh, limitations, bias, fear. You know, I talk about the fact that we all come with demographic labels and we can't take away some of them, but our awareness of them is extremely important so that you are coming from a place of awareness before you even take an image like that. You're really getting a sense of who you are and how you see, because if you don't take that time, that's going to show in the work and you're going to see it. If you do take that time, Yeah. there's a a, a Juno Diaz quote I use that says, there's a shape around the privilege that we walk with. Like we all have a shape and mm-hmm. it's shaped about our privilege. And it's like, so that's where I start, which certainly throws a lot of people off that, that we're talking about you. Like, and it's this real interesting, I think that's why my background, someone said I used to work on people's insides. And, and then when I went through the fashion piece, it was on their outsides. But I think where I'm working now is such an integration of both, right? And I want people to get clear and aware on their lens and then jump into the aesthetics too right? Because I'm, they're equally important. You know, you can't, you need all of it.
0: Yeah. I think that because we rely on this, you know, electromechanical box to create the work, Mm -hmm. the the preoccupation can become, uh, can get too focused on that. At some point when you want to have a voice, you have to have a a certain degree of of growing Mm self-awareness. Not that you've reached some point of nirvana, (laughs) You know, all of a sudden, now I'm ready to give my voice because it's going to evolve and change and a lot of false starts. I've returned to writing fiction, and one of the things that, that held me back in terms of that was this not feeling that I had something to say, mm-hmm. that I wanted to say something, but felt that things about my experiences were would not be... That I that I couldn't use them so I would I, I got to be a good technician in terms of writing because I spent' I spent most of my my life writing but I wasn't investing myself in the work. I was being very sort of technical about about it and, and being effective but it wasn't as genuine as genuine and honest of creation as I wanted it to be. I felt I was doing that a, a, a little more with my photography but I know that I was also restraining that as well because of my unwillingness to just really just, you know, put myself completely there. And it's, it's a challenge to be able to do that. But I've seen, when I see work that comes from that, I know it immediately mm-hmm. because I'm responding to it in a very visceral way mm-hmm. that it's not about, oh, how well it's composed or how sharp it is or what the light is. I, I will like physically go, feel it. It's like, oh my God. You know? And yeah. that does not come from some technical competency. Mm-hmm. It's by taking some that 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 raw core of you, as misshapen as you may think it is sometimes, and then giving yourself permission to use it in, in one way or another. And it seems like you've helped facilitate a lot of people to do just that. But why are you capable of doing it and helping them do it when they can't?
1: That's great. I'm just smiling because I'm thinking like five things at the same time. Number one, as you describe your situation, it was a process of integration. You were judging aspects. And as you said, the permission wasn't there. So something had to help you step into it. And the irony of it is, when you do, it impacts your work and it impacts it positively. It does infuse it. I think we have to get out of our own way often. And I think sometimes the collaborative nature of my work with people is that I'm I'm just splunking with somebody and it's two flashlights instead of one and it's helpful, right? So, it gives you a bit more of like, You know, I I use analogies all the time. So I'm going from splunking in a cave to the idea of like a carabiner on rock (laughs) climbing and, you know, whatever. But it's like you're not alone. And I can think of when I was. Developing my own ability, uh, undergraduate and graduate, I was working with people in as a social worker, and we had to integrate theory. And hilariously, I was working in actually at that point play therapy and group work, and you have to go talk to your supervisor after all the work, and and you know you're reading everything, all the theorists you can think of, Freud, Jung, and my supervisor goes, yeah, well you you found the Smith method, and I was like Smith, I have. I haven't read any Smith. it was like, duh, he was talking about the fact that I had taken my pieces of all these different, and it was hysterical. It went right over my head initially. So that's that idea of like taking it and integrating it yourself. And then it comes out with that blend that only you bring to it because we each have that Unique, you know, capacity. All of your experiences and memories, and frankly, your fears, and all those things I talk about in the box are necessary. They're part of your toolkit, and you need to own them. And then they. Once you do, they show up. And I just have have two other examples. One was, this was hilarious. I was going to teach at the School of Visual Arts, and I was being introduced by um, Katrina Eisman, who at the time was the head of the um, Masters of Digital Photography. And she said, Sibylla has been thinking about creativity her whole life. And I literally went like, damn, why didn't I think of that? Like, it (laughs) literally was like... Mm -hmm being reflected like that was so helpful. It was literally like, I have been thinking about that. And it helped me own my unique vantage point. It helped me move forward. You know, I'm in a book proposal process, have been for a while on Concept Aware. And it it came out of this organic process of an integration of all the different places that I was standing in relationship to making imagery and, and seeing correlations that people people uh, hadn't, like our education system, um, how we talk about what we do, hadn't highlighted it in a way. So that if you go into a... Uh, A course of study in a medium of the arts, you typically study the history and you study the craft. Mm -hmm. And I'm right in the middle because I'm going to contextualize you historically and you better be really good at your craft. But what I'm going to be focusing on in the spotlight is that process, that integration and that, um, well, exactly what you were talking about, which is in my mind, you know, I talk about it. If you take a class with me all the time, which is punctum, which is coming out of Roland Barthes talking about what is it that comes from the photograph and pierces the viewer's heart, mm-hmm. and that's that emotional impact. I call myself a punctum junkie because I am addicted to the emotional impact of photography. And I am going to plug you into your punctum because that's like, if you get in touch with your core, as you were saying, and then that's what you're seeing with, that's what's going to hook the viewer. And I love it because I love this other uh, notion. I think we came around this when I was talking to, um, uh, and reading David Campany, two ideas. One is that that once you take a picture, it has a life of its own. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have control over that. You don't have control over what somebody sees. And then Teju Cole writes about no photograph stands alone because it's always going to be in this mind field of yours, of memory, experience, other images, other experiences. There's so many ways to interact with the the medium i think that's why i love it because i love that idea of you becoming aware of your vision and how that kind of ignites something where you know it when you see it you know when you're oh, yeah. in mm-hmm. it, and then it shows up in the work so it's this synergy yeah
0: when people yeah. ask me about my process and trying to get me to explain it, their their questions are often about, "Well, what are you looking for? And that's not in. I am observing light and shadow, line and shape, color and gesture, but what I'm in pursuit of is a certain feeling that I get in my belly
2: Mm. when
0: I see all these disparate elements and I see the potential for that moment.
2: Mm -hmm. And then
0: my spidey senses go up. And then it's about can I muster all the skills and experience that I have and actually turn that into something? You know, I described it the other day that it's it's like you know, discovering a question and trying to find the answer. <laughs> Each time. Yeah. You know, and sometimes yeah. it's algebra. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, now, but, I'm thinking, oh, now
0: I'm thinking now I'm thinking the moment is- happens, it's like it is just it's at that point, it's not so much about what that final image looks like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's how I felt at that moment when I felt like I figured it out. the The, the photograph is proof that I did it,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: I'm, I'm so much more invested in in that moment. Sometimes the the photograph is resembles what I felt, but isn't, but can't really evoke it. I can only hope that some people get a taste or a, a sense of that when they take a look at the photograph.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's... it's I, I, I don't know whether any image I have created or ever will create will fully encapsulate that experience to someone else. It would be nice, but that's a nice goal maybe, but it's an interesting, at least, thought of exercise, if nothing else.
1: Well, I think that's what makes you the visionary and the creator. Isn't there a bit of like... I don't know, endorphin hit or whatever. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, plugging in of energy and you are part of that, you know, it's like an alignment. And I think that I love the way that you describe it. And I, and for me listening to you, it's like that process of creating, feeds itself it's a, it's a um it's a reward in its own self and then this object just carries it on like for me it feels like it's when all those things click mm-hmm. I was discussing a book today with a photographer and actually the model totally synergistic it's a self-published book by David Horton and the model is Beatrice Lovely who is um also an actor and uh, Swedish and he's a street photographer and he wanted to basically push himself out of his comfort zone and thought I need to, he art directs in his, uh, in his other life. He runs a, uh, he's a graphic designer and, and he's art directing other people. And he thought I need to get into that space. And, um, he went to a modeling agency and he worked with a couple of people. Another time it turned out that Beatrice was, uh, who he was going to work with. And he said, I'm just trying to get into a space and kind of let things happen. And um, what ended up happening for them, all of it was serendipitous. None of it was preplanned. He wasn't thinking a book. And what ended up happening was on their first meeting, she had worn a necklace that she, um, from her modeling said, do you mind if I leave this on? Do you want me to take it off? And um, and he said, whatever you can, it's fine. And it turns out that it represented uh, a keepsake and she had lost her husband very recently. She was a young woman. Mm-hmm. And then that became part of their conversation. And then, What ensued was two years of photographing and putting together what ultimately became this lyrical book. And I called it a benediction because it was just, it was what you just described of you and the photograph and the moment happening between two people. And I guess I'd say it's the creative process and it's why it's what feeds me because it's just so synergistic and so exciting and it has infinite ways of being uh, described. My joy is being either a collaborator as you're doing that process or like in my photo book book group, talking to you about how you got there. Like what's the, I liken it to going, you know, in the wizard of Oz behind the curtain and being like, how did this happen? Because there's so many creative choices and they get layered. If you are clear in your concept and, and, and let the process lead you, you will see all those ways that you make decisions that underscore what you're trying to say. Um, and that's how you get an impactful piece. That's how it grows into a project, but that has to be active and has to be not looking at the prize, looking at the, the what's well, right in front of you and grappling with it. And uh, and rolling with it. A lot of persistence, a lot of observation, definitely courage. That's part of being creative.
0: Yeah, especially when it comes time to edit that work and call it (laughs) and, and, and start thinking about how it's going to be laid out. I think that is that's something that's rarely taught. You know, people taught how to make pictures, but that that part of it, in terms of editing and being able to discern everything you created, is something that uh, should be taught a hell of a lot more than it is. But I think that that's 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 the second opportunity to really engage with the work and to make the the truest the truest discoveries in terms of what the hell you were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you're for me, when I'm making the pictures, I often feel like I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know, when I take a look at the photographs soon after uploading them, I think they're all shite, you know, and I don't even want to look at them. And it's only later on when I have to take those, you know, hundreds of images and edit it down to about, you know, 12 or 14 that I actually feel like, well, I knew what I was doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when I start, you know, laying them out and trying to design something with it, that's when I get a sense of what some part of me was thinking or feeling or was trying to say in that moment, considering that. Most people don't have the experience of, of knowing how to do that in an effective way. Talk to me about the collaboration that you have with them, because it's not just you telling them, this is what works and just do what I tell you.
2: Mm-hmm, You're educating
0: mm-hmm. them so they can learn how to do it themselves. But tell me how, what that dynamic is like.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure. I love how you describe things and open up uh areas. Um, My problem is that you make me think of too many things at the same time. (laughs) So, I'll try. Like Okay. So, initially, one of the things, I'll get to this question to answer it, but one of the things you made me think of, one of my book conversations was with the photographer, Matt Eck, who is so gifted at thinking about the imagery. He literally throws it in a drawer for a couple of years sometimes, goes back. And what you're talking about you describing this and this is something he gets into describing you're listening to the work you're allowing it to have its voice and you are listening to it and then you start to discern i talk in my collaborative work i talk about um images having weight right and 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 being able to look at a number of them and and start to like it's like when you filter anything else. Like, let's figure out what can be taken away often and what rises to the top. And what's really interesting for me, I, I <laughs> one time I came up with the um because I'm I'm a marketing problem and I don't know how to to succinctly say what I do. Uh, one time I came up with the fact that I'm a visual midwife because I, I'm not. I' you're the one having the baby. I am just <laughs> process, you know, I'm just along for the ride. And the work has to really be yours. However, in that collaborative process, my role is to take apart what makes an impactful image, talk about that, look at ones next to each other, and know that we can't have necessarily, Uh, the same tonality and what makes some different. That's where I get into this weight thing. And you actually end up categorizing your work in a lot of different ways. So, for instance, it's often, I think, very much like songwriting or honestly like cinematography. You are trying to get a rhythm. It is a journey. It is a narrative. When I was first in the photographic arts, I assumed photographers knew what their most impactful work was. And I was going to say like, hey, we put 15 images out. They're going to know the good ones. I completely disagree with that statement now and stand by it because I think it's a real art to be able to discern your own work and i understand how hard that is to do there's so many things that make you wedded to an image like what you went through to make it sometimes right, right? Mm-hmm. and i'm coming in from outside and i'm not seeing that so working with an editor is is really really helpful and you're right that it is not me saying this is how we do it it is let's figure out these parameters what is the essence you know what are the what's the message sometimes i'm not even using specifics or a real word because it's really a feeling and we get to know what that is and we start to see it together and then what i really love is we get into this process where we kind of like um fight for our own images and why like because you less is more that totally is true like the taking away is going to help. And that's often a problem with a lot of photographers. They're like, but, 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 you know, this one, this one, this one. And it's like, really, you're going to get, it's kind of like, think of food. Like if you threw in everything from the refrigerator, it wouldn't be as good a dish. It's like, Mm -hmm. be discerning. So anyway, that's a part of it. But you can see like, we get into a negotiation, right? Like I'm like, "Mm, I really feel like this has this. And and then if we're trying to like, be around a certain number, potentially, like we each have to give up one that we really want in the mix. And so it's this whole movement. And it's really a process and a fun one. And I can watch people start to let go of certain work. It's a starting to see like, oh, I get it. You know, things where I, I had this experience where um, especially when people are making kind of like the work I was talking about earlier today, uh, like evocative work that ends up being personal and some kind of an emotional thing going on, you can lose sight of some of the most like really basic concrete things. For instance, um, if you haven't utilize different wardrobe, there's only so many images of the same pieces we can make. Like there's just, there's there's a lot of ways that you need to be thinking. One of the things I loved about the book that we were working on to talk about today was that there was some cinema. The some of the work was very um, inspired by cinema, like it had that feel of a movie still. And the photographer said, yeah, I'm kind of that weirdo that literally stops a movie and takes a photograph of a still. Mm. And it's like, he has a bank of these ideas, which is genius, right? But what I loved about this book is that there was such curiosity. Nothing was anticipated. I didn't know what was going to be next. And I didn't even know why they were all together. And that tension was terrific and really held me. So, that idea of how much do you say is also really interesting. And how I do think that you get to be aware of stylistic issues that may define your way of looking but i would encourage everyone to keep evolving to keep exploring because it's it's that kind of tension that's really fun and and evolutionary like i i i love watching you know, I know that you um, interviewed Mona Kuhn recently, and I've been a big fan of her work for a long time, and um, love that this book that just is out is a retrospective, because you see evolution, and that's so exciting.
0: Yeah. Think about the last thing you consumed that really, really inspired your photography. It might have been a workshop or a seminar you attended, or it might have been a photo exhibit at a local gallery or museum. But if you're anything like me, it was probably a book of photography. Workshops and exhibitions are wonderful, but a book provides an experience that you can return to over and over again as you change and as you grow as a photographer, so does the way you look and experience the images in a book. That's why I have returned to some of my favorite titles countless times over the years. Try to do that with a YouTube video. The books I have received through the Charcoal Book Club have not been books I would have considered on my own. They are often different from what I normally gravitate to, but each one has excited me because they challenge me to rethink what's possible with photography. With each book, I reconsider my assumptions about lighting, composition, and subject matter. It's been as important to my growth as going out and making photographs. I sincerely want you to experience this for yourself by signing up for the Charcoal Book Club today. They offer first edition books, showcasing the best talents in contemporary photography, But if you don't like that month's release, you can choose another of their titles of similar value. They offer free shipping to the US, Canada, and the UK. It's subsidized elsewhere. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today. And remember to use the code thecandertframe at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. I've been lucky in my career when it comes to gear. Whether I was working at Nikon or as a photo magazine editor, I had almost unlimited access to gear. Basically, anything I wanted to try or use was just a locker or a phone call away. Admittedly, I was spoiled. So when I began my freelance career, I lost all that. I had to buy everything that I wanted to use. So as you can imagine, there was a lot of stuff that I had to do without. I had a serious case of the withdrawals after I left all that behind. But now you and I have more options. We don't have to buy. You can rent. So whether it's that super telephoto lens that you want for a safari or a new camera body you want to try out before you upgrade, you can rely on lensrentals.com to help. They have a huge inventory of photographic gear from cameras, lenses, lighting, and more. So regardless of what you need or what you need it for, they have it and all for a reasonable and fair price. So before you go out and make that next big purchase, enjoy some hands-on experience with that piece of kit you're interested in. If you're worried about something bad happening while using their gear, they offer two different insurance options so your rental is protected against damage and theft. So you use it worry-free. Check out their inventory and save 10% on your first order when you sign up for their newsletter at LensRentals.com newsletter. And thanks to all of you who have financially supported The Candid Frame. Your belief in what we do means the world to us and has helped us through many growing pains. I can't thank you enough. But if you haven't already, you can help contribute to our work by becoming a Patreon supporter today. You can do that by contributing $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. Just $5 a month from you makes a big difference. Thank you so much for your kindness and support. anytime I get a, a photo book, but first, my first thing is to quickly go through it. Just look at the, just look at the photographs and see how I respond to it, and then I then I put it down. And then I return to it a little while later, and I take it a little more slowly. And then I'm looking for the the rhythm and the beats, mm-hmm. right? And seeing you know where the rests are, where the transitions are. You know, because it's not just about a selection of images for me. You know, it's like a piece of music or or, or a concert or 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 a concept album. You know, Absolutely, like people use Absolutely. it today, and it's really kind of interesting because I've seen. Uh, I think when people just think about putting together a book or a portfolio with just the hits, they don't realize how monotone it can be.
2: Mm-hmm. Really
0: quickly you know, after about four or six images, you're ready to to have some sort of shift. And if, if there isn't there, you just kind of go through it quickly and you just feel like you're having fast food. As good as the images may be, because the the book is is an opportunity to have, to conduct a performance.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It is very, it's an orchestration. And mm-hmm. just like you need to have space in between notes. We were talking about it today, like palette cleansers uh, that come in. I brought up the um, example of, these are the books right here are the ones that we covered in the first year of my photo book book group. And I just love, I don't know if you know um, Laurent Chevalier's work.
0: No, I'm not familiar.
1: Oh, beautiful book with Chris Graves. You should have him on. (laughs) (laughs) talking to Laurent. So this is a this is a study of blackness in New York. It was so much like so for me I saw some images. I didn't know Laurent and then I'm like I have to have <laughs> I have to have this book and then and then once I looked at it and was so moved literally by the sequencing was gorgeous. And I'm like, I have to talk to this person. And it was so much fun to, to unpack it with him. And what he used, and I'm going to try to bring up an example, he very thoughtfully brought in text and actually had, a, I think, a spoken word performer uh, write for this. But he took every now and then an image like this
0: Mm-hmm. Which, Which is an image a of a car on a street where people can you know, most of you can't see this, but yeah. uh, hopefully you can take a look at the book.
1: Yeah. So yeah. he used those images of the parked car as a segue. And uh. they were placed every now and then in between all these other more people-oriented, active
0: nice. images.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I I made an analogy today. something I was taking a a drawing uh, workshop and we had this idea that the way that it ran is that we would have like um, a short lecture and then we would work in this mode and it started with film stills and we had to draw from that vantage point so to tell a story in still image And it was really interesting. Obviously, we weren't taking images, but we were being inspired by film and using drawing. Mm. I I took one of my favorite, I don't know if you know the movie, Wings of Desire.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I could talk to you for hours on that film. Yeah.
1: Top 10, like love, love, love. So that's what I did. I drew pieces of that movie. It was so much fun. So it's that idea of distilling something um like you don't have to have all the blah 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 on there
2: you have yeah. to have
1: the those sweet notes right and and that surprise like how about wings of desire that everything from the angel's point of view was black and white and the mortals was color right that's a creative decision that was flipping massive in the message of that movie you know, in the book I was talking about today, it was the color of the, um, the photographer said, I knew I didn't want an image on the front of my book and the color of the, of the fabric was beautiful. And when you open it up on the title page, the ink is the same color and it's mm. so subtle, but it's like those details really show. And the only other thing I wanted to say, cause you made me think of it too, is this concept of like Number one, not all your ideas are good ones, and not all of your ideas are ready to be hatched.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: I, I, yeah. Bring up that Charlotte's Web scene when <laughs> the goose says, "I'm no flibbity of eat jibbit, I'm sitting on my eggs, and people need to sit on some of their eggs."
0: Well, let, let me ask you a question because that is a really good point. Because I think during moments like that, there's a there's a moment of struggle, right? Yep trying to discern whether the struggle is about oh it's not ready to be hatched yet or the struggle is about some baggage you're not willing to let go of to allow yourself to have a sort of to have the big breakthrough that you need to how do you discern which which of the two it is
1: interesting that's a really interesting point i'm trying to think if i could come up with an example i mean i can always pretty much tell when the impatience of the creator is getting in the way and it's more impatience with the challenge of the process. Mm. So I can ask someone, you know, or guide someone to say like, stick with it. Like, like, I don't think you've made the choices yet. You know, like it's, it's a, it's a lot about control. Um, and, um, what, where people's comfort zone is in letting go of some of the control and following the process. That can be scary for sure. But I'm trying to think of when do I think someone impedes themselves? I keep looking back cause it's like, this is my like store.
0: Um, and I don't know if there is a good answer to that, you know, because I you know, I asked the question and I don't even have an answer for that. For me personally, it's, it's, you know, when I'm in the midst of those sort of struggles, the only time it's sort of really sort of revealed to me is the answer usually comes for both when I have that moment of surrender.
1: What do you mean for Where, both?
0: For w- whether it's because I'm holding myself back mm-hmm. or whether it's just not ready and both i think for me both of them involve me trying to exert a level of control that isn't working Mm -hmm. and that i have to sort of just let it go and stop trying to fix it or figure it out
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and then when i when i do that and have the opportunity to sort of take a step back get a breath find a diversion and return to it then it becomes a little clearer it may not be absolutely crystal clear but I have a little more clarity than I, I would when I'm kind of trying to wrestle the bear.
1: Mm-hmm. And don't you feel, I think a little uh, relief internally, you feel more, more aligned oh with my what's God. going on.
0: It's so then. exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> In that, that trying to do it. It's like, a, and it's, it's, it's especially clear to me whenever I'm writing something like mm-hmm. I'm writing the book, it's like, it's always the last, you know, quarter. You know the last fifty or hundred pages that are always the worst, uh. right? It's like I've been spending weeks or months working on this thing, and it's that last period where all the doubt, insecurity, frustration, uh, anger—you know, mm-hmm. impatience—really comes to sort of the fore. And at some point, I just gotta. I, I just tell myself I'm just gonna let all this stuff be crap, you know, and just just get on there and just. Hype the next page, and then mm-hmm. later on, when I sit down and end up revising it, I realize it's not as bad as I may have felt it was at that particular moment. But yeah. there's, a, there's a there's a particular uh, there's a there's a moment of absolute surrender to the process that for me has to happen in order for me to be able to move forward in any in any meaningful way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, in in essence, not necessarily listen to yourself, <laughs> or or <laughs> acknowledge it. Kind of say like, "I hear you." Like, sit down. Like, yeah. you know, we're still gonna keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you're making me think of two interesting things. I remember um, I was teaching uh, Concept Aware in a five day format at Main Media, and it was fascinating because so my my framework ends up with these eight elements of how you see, or at least ones that I have created to try to help you ground yourself. Typically, I say people are looking or utilizing three elements most like and we try to like figure out what are the three that are the propensity you lean towards. Mm. Um, Some are more associated than others. So they kind of come in packages, but it takes a long time to kind of figure that out about yourself. And in a class situation, I love that people help each other out. Someone came into class that had a film background and he was like, There was one really heavy-hitting person in the class, so everybody was intimidated by that one person. And and this guy literally was like, I don't know that I'm going to have a lot to contribute. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, your film background, the idea that you anticipate before and after, like, you're going to come in with a whole new skill set. And then there was another person in the class that literally... I think probably had not been dealt with in the same way that I ended up dealing with them because people presented in the beginning and then we came around through all these processes and exercises and to present at the end. And he was still looking for us to tell him what was good and what was going mm-hmm. on. And so he puts the work out and I watched him set it up and I went, mm, timeout, that's not fair. It's not our work. And it's not our answer. And it made him so uncomfortable because I don't think a lot of people challenge you like that, right? Yeah. That that people are so willing to give their 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 opinion. And if I hear one more person say, Oh my God, I put it on Instagram and it got a lot of likes, like so what? Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, that is not the place to be discerning your work. And it's like that internal place where you have to own it. Um, And I'll just give you one other example from that class, because it was fascinating. I love to, I want people to be comfortable, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So, it's not masochistic, but I really do want to put people in uncomfortable situations. It's like, you'll figure it out. And um, so, uh, the middle of the week, I gave them a collaborative process. And it was really funny, like kind of randomly, I gave this bunch of inspiration and then just said, okay, so you guys can all figure it out. And it made so many people uncomfortable, like, well, wait, you're not telling us what to do. You're not telling us who's doing what. I literally had someone ask, Well if we're making a collaborative picture, like who gets to press the shutter? <laughs> and and I was like, I don't know, you'll figure that out. And so they go off and it was one of those other experiences where I was speechless with with what came back. First of all, they came back the next day so pumped because they had fun. Mm -hmm. They totally were all outside their comfort zone. And once they got going – There was nothing off the table for what could be done. And their stuff was so incredible. I invited the director (laughs) to come in and see it because I was like, you aren't going to believe this. Like they blew me out of the water. And it was so cool. And it's like, so for me, it's just so much fun to watch that process, right? People just get a whole new skill set. And then that is confidence building. It's like, okay, I, I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know what the hell she was talking about, but like, look what came out of it. And, and, and that's, you know, that's part of, uh, turning down some of the volume on the things that make us stop. We don't need permission. I mean, frankly, what it is, is we need to give ourselves permission.
0: Yeah. One of the things I've learned as an educator is my, one of my major jobs is making people uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, because yep. that's when they have the breakthroughs. Because if they're feeling a little fear and anxiety, that means there's an opportunity there to learn, learn, learn something. You know, I know that's been for me when I've been put in that similar circumstance when I'm the student, right? If I don't yeah. feel any fear or anxiety, then I feel, oh, this is a cakewalk. I'll be able to get through this, and I won't have to hardly do anything.
1: No, oh, it really it mo- It's where you grow. You grow on that edge of your comfort zone and. Not knowing, getting comfortable with not knowing and just experimenting.
0: Yeah. And you discover it's a beautiful thing.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's stuff that you couldn't, you could not like, it's like getting out of the way and letting the magic happen and it happens.
0: And hopefully you discover that you're ca- much more capable of something than you ever thought. Mm-hmm. And that's the mm-hmm. gift.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, because honestly, Uh, Think about it. You are challenging those doubting voices. And the more that you put yourself in the position to do that, the quieter they become. Oh, yeah. And other voices get louder. And that's really good. Like, that's what happened when that person reflected me is thinking about creativity. I owned the history of my own creative thought. I did something different with it because I owned it.
0: Yeah. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend a photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why?
1: That is like a mean question to ask someone <laughs> like me.
0: If the first person who's called me out on calling me a mean question. I've heard a lot of <gasps> described a lot of other ways, but that's a first.
1: That's ridiculous. <laughs> like what? Like, look. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, all those books behind you. Yeah.
1: Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, oh damn, that's almost impossible, but give me a minute. Well, I'm a polyglot in terms of my love of photography because it breaks a lot of genres. So that's what's really, really hard. It's like I have a lot. And one of the things that's really exciting is how many people I have been exposed to. And what I, so I'm not really answering your question. I'll get there. But the idea that like, I, I love to come in from the academic and i love to come in from the context of like the landscape of the contemporary photography foundation like like it, it's so interesting to watch how hard some definitions are held on to even though they've been disproven for a very long time mm. so i love when people are pushing the edges and really on their own explore. And I've come across so many people like that. I mean, yesterday I, I've done two days of reviews. So, like, I've seen all this new work and how people push the boundaries. And I'm really interested in uh, social documentary and I'm really interested in conceptual. And, you know, I love when there's the synergy of when someone is aware of using the medium for an exploration, not for a answer. So I guess if you pinned me down, I think think I'd come up with Odette England. And when I was introduced to her work through Keeper of the Hearth, of course, it's about Roland Barthes photograph that was never seen, uh, the Winter Garden photograph, which is what the premise is behind his book. When he was talking about, honestly, the passing of his mother and looking for a photograph that held her essence. And that's where he elucidates punctum and talks about Mm. this idea of what's embedded. And what Odette did with Keeper of the Hearth, which is um, right here, um, is she was asking that question. Is it... um, I mean, there's been a lot of thesis writing about is there really a photograph? Was there ever really a Winter Garden photograph? And nobody knows. Like, was that a real photograph? Was that a figment? Was that a a, a compilation of things? And what Odette did was just put out a query, like, what would be the unseen photograph for you? And she didn't edit whatever anyone sent back. And if you could see the breadth of the interpretations of this. And then mm-hmm. what happened in terms of the sequencing is spectacular. And she's very generous in terms of talking about the process. Um, she's very open to people's collaborative parts in her exploration. So I would say Odette really just resonates for me with someone who uses our medium for a real time exploration and is not going to know the answer, but is going to take us along through the questions. And it's going to be aesthetically beautiful and super thoughtful. There are three essays in here that couldn't be more different. And they're just show stopping in their particular. Genre. So, uh, this is, she said that she wanted to create a garden and she did. You would come Mm -hmm. back to this again and again and again. And she put out one small book just recently and I actually spoke about it because I got it and had to just talk about it as soon as I did. She really gives herself these parameters. So, this is about six feet, which has to do with what, what we have just been all relegated to six feet away from each other. And so she takes these experiences, gives herself these parameters, and then goes on a field day. And I'm always, always delighted. And she has a book coming out in the fall. Um, I think it's with St. Lucie Press. She's Australian, and she actually saw a correlation. She found her family owned a farm and she found a manual that had to do with cows and started to see the correlation between how you talk about livestock and women. Oh. And then brings this idea together on all these different layers. And I'm, I'm totally ad-libbing here because there's much, much more to know about it, but so, okay, so that's my, that's my answer because it hits so many places.
0: Oh, thank you for that. And thank you for your time. Though I, oh. I, I do have one regret, though, in speaking with you. Is I was What's trying that? to show some restraint in, in buying any more photo books for a while. And <laughs> I know now that I will, have, that's, gonna, that's not going to happen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I, I can
1: I can actually tell you that um, I've been able, uh, had the fortune to go to um, Paris photo for several years and bring people actually on an insider's guide and the plethora of, of books that has come out in the last 10 years. Um, I was embarrassed to have to buy a new suitcase, like tacky one at the airport. I mean, I'd come up with a whole system of how to get through. And this woman just looked at me like, honey, like, Forget it. Like you can't take out and carry all those separate bags on the airplane with you. So yeah, it's a little bit out of hand, but it's all good. And I have to say, um, I know that our time is up, but uh, when I look at all the people that we have crossed over, I feel like I could. That's what I mean about wanting to interview you because you've talked to many of my friends and uh, and colleagues. And um and you're an educator. Yeah. So I would love to keep the conversation going. There's just so many places that we've crossed over.
0: Oh yeah. 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 I let's keep the dialogue happening, whether it's being recorded or, or not. Yeah. I enjoyed this. This was great fun.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for those questions. I really appreciate them.
0: Thanks to Jay Sibylla Smith for joining us. Find out more about her and her work by visiting JaySibyllaSmith.com. Your thoughts and feelings about this show matter. If you haven't already, please write a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to podcasts. It helps us to stand out among the many thousands of podcasts that are out there. Your voice makes a big difference. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or make a one-time or recurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Stephanie Banks for her recent contribution. I'm also going to be leading by using your life to launch your photography online workshop this summer, actually next month. Find out more by clicking on the link on the website, in the show notes, or visit nabechicreative.com. We also provide a series of eBooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you listen to podcasts, download the Candor Frame app, which is available for Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candor Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at TheOtherMartinTaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin MacLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.